We're in John 8 today. So there was a fancy car that pulled into one of those full-service gas stations from years ago. Okay, millennials, back in the day, they used to do gas stations where the people would come out and pump the gas for you, and meanwhile, they'd check your, ga- check your oil and, and wipe your windshield and do all this kind of stuff. So that was the way it was at gas stations, all right? So back then, fancy car pulls into one of those gas stations, and the attendant comes running out to do his thing. Meanwhile, the guy who's driving gets out, stretches his legs a while, goes inside, gets a, gets a candy bar, a Coke, comes back out, and is surprised to see his wife talking to the gas station attendant. Not just making polite chat, chit-chat, but they're actually like standing close to each other and talking like they've know, known each other for a while. So he comes up and, and kind of clears his throat, and she says, oh, honey, let me introduce you. And so they introduce each other, and then he gets in his side of the car, and to, to the driver's shock, she leans over and kisses the guy on the cheek and then gets back in the car. So, of course, as they're pulling away, he says, well, honey, who was that? She says, oh, well, we grew up together. We were actually sweethearts in high school. You know, we, we were really crazy about each other. In fact, he, he proposed marriage to me the night before I went off to college, where, of course, I met you. And at the time, I really wanted to say yes, but I knew my parents would kill me. So they drive along a little longer, and, and he finally says, you know, I bet you're sitting over there thinking to yourself, I'm glad I said no that night, because if I'd said yes, I'd be married to a gas station attendant instead of the CEO of a major oil company. And she laughed, and she put her hand gently on his arm. She said, no, honey, actually, I'm thinking if I would have married him, he'd be the CEO, and you'd be pumping gas. (laughs) Isn't it funny how we forget where we came from and how we got where we are today? And as Christians, that's especially true. Because if you're like most Christians I know, including me, the longer you are a Christian, the more you forget where you came from, what you were when Jesus found you. The more you forget that you didn't do anything to earn your salvation. That you didn't find Jesus, He found you. You didn't save yourself, He saved you. The more you forget that without Him, you'd be so lost. And that anything good that is in your character, anything that you can look at and say, yeah, I've, I've gotten to be pretty good at this, or I've overcome this sin, that's all because of his presence in your life. You didn't do that. It's because from the day he, he camped out in your heart, he started remaking you and redeveloping you into his image. And we're in this series right now called Jesus and Unbelievers, and we're talking about the conversations that you and I need to have with people around us who don't know Christ. That's our job. That's our full-time occupation, our calling from God. And none of us is good at it. Some of us are better than others, but none of us is really as good as we should be. So what we're doing is we're looking at those kinds of conversations Jesus had with ordinary people. Like three weeks ago, we looked at a seeker that he saw, a guy named Nicodemus, who was seeking spiritual truth, and Jesus came and showed him the truth that he needed to be saved. And then two weeks ago, we looked at a social outcast the woman at the well in Samaria, and how Jesus changed her life. And we meet people like that all the time who just don't fit into society. And last week we looked at a skeptic that Jesus had dinner with and the truth he presented before that man and and basically gave him a, a divergent point where he could choose to follow Christ and choose salvation or he could continue to go his own way. And we meet people all the time who are skeptical and it's our job to represent Christ before them too. But today we're going to talk about people who are sinners 
Now, if you've been in church a while, if you've been a Christian a while, if you've read the Bible, you know that every one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us. Me, me uh, above all. So all people are sinners. It's just that some people are more aware of it than others. Some people are just full of guilt and shame. Some people are convinced. No one could ever love me. No one could ever accept me. I have, I have gone too far. I have messed up my life too severely. In Philip Yancey's great book, What's So Amazing About Grace, which I highly recommend, he tells the story of a friend of his who was a social worker. And this guy, social worker, was trying to help this woman who was so addicted to drugs that she had begun selling herself into prostitution to pay for her habit. And you can guess how she felt about herself. Not just as an addict, but also as someone who is used by other men for money. She felt as low as a human being can feel. And as a Christian, this guy didn't just want to help her physically. He wanted to help her in every way. And so he said, ma'am, I think it's good that you're going to rehab, but what if you joined a church? Wouldn't it be great if you had some good people around you to be a good influence on you? She made this face that looked like he was from another planet. She said, church? Why would I go there? Those people would just make me feel worse than I already do. Isn't it sad that the very kind of people who were most attracted to Jesus when he was here in the flesh are the least likely to go to a church where his word is preached? Isn't it a tragedy that the people who, who would probably most readily accept the message of grace never hear it because they would never set foot in a place like this, just assuming that they would be judged, that they would be condemned, that they'd feel worse than they already do. We're reading a story today, and it's a famous story. Some of you know it well. Most of you have heard it. And it's a story of Jesus dealing with a woman a lot like that woman that Philip Yancey's friend dealt with that day. And I want you to see what he does. I want you to see how he changes this woman's life. So read with me chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Remember those words. In the law, Moses commanded us to, to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, he said, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So I want you to put yourself for just a moment in the shoes of this woman. This woman has just done a terrible thing. She's made a terrible mistake, a mistake people make every day in our world, sad to say. This woman has cheated on her husband, perhaps with someone else's husband. And she knew it was wrong. She grew up in a, in a Jewish 
society that was very clear about sexual ethics. It was, this was not an anything-goes society where affairs are glamorized and glorified. This, she knew what she was doing was wrong, and yet she did it anyway. And in the midst of this act, in the act, as he says, the doors burst open. And she looks, and there before her, she sees the worst people in the world to see in a moment like that, even worse than seeing her husband. She sees the religious leaders of her community dressed in all their religious finery. And the man, of course, bolts out of the room and flees. But these men grab her by the hair and by the wrist, and they drag her out of bed, and they drag her through the streets of Jerusalem. And they drag her right up to the temple itself where God's presence dwells. And they throw her in the dirt and they begin to talk about stoning her and she sees a mob of men gather and begin picking up rocks and she knows, she knows my life is about to end. She's just been humiliated. She's just been shamed in front of the entire city. Now she stands in the presence of God himself and she's about to die. Painfully, violently, her life is about to end on that note. And yet... Fast forward just a few minutes forward. And what do we see? We see everything has suddenly changed. Darkness has become light. Suddenly, she, know, she now has no more accusers. She's heard the rocks drop one by one. Splat, splat, splat into the dirt. And she looks up and there's only this one man, Jesus. Who knows if she even knew who Jesus was before that day. But she could tell, like everybody else who met Jesus, she could tell that there was something different about him. And now... Not only was she not going to die, she was going to live. Not only was she free and forgiven, she'd been told by this man who obviously knew more about God than even her religious leaders. She'd been told by him, there's a new way to live. I can now go. I can leave my life of sin. I can start over. I can be a new person. That's what people need. People in our lives, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our acquaintances, the people we just brush shoulders with, they need to hear that message. And yet, how can we reach them the way Jesus reached that woman instead of the impression that we give Philip Yancey's friend and the woman he tried to help? How can we, how can we change that dynamic? How can we become the people who draw those folks in and bring them to salvation? instead of pushing them away. Well, there's two things that we see in Jesus that day and in his dealings with this woman that we need, to, we need to show the world. The world needs to see in us. And the first is humility. Humility. And I know some of you are like, don't, don't tell me I need humility. I, I am humble. It's the thing I'm proudest of in the world is my humility, right? Jesus, you know, he says... Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. I just quoted from the King James Version because that's what I learned growing up. Probably most of you have heard that statement. In fact, some of you may have heard that statement, didn't even know it was in the Bible. It's become a very common saying in society. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. It's society's way of saying, you can't judge me. But Jesus said it to a woman who everyone was in the process of judging, and rightly so in a way. She had broken the commandment of God. And yet Jesus' point is, we're all in the same position. Humility is what it takes. Humility doesn't mean thinking of yourself poorly. It means not thinking much of yourself at all. See, the, part, the problem with us as Christians, one of the problems, if I can say, 
is it's way too much fun for us to judge our neighbors. And it is fun, isn't it? It is fun, especially when you're laying in bed at night and your neighbor comes in at three in the morning and wakes you up with his loud music and he's staggering around and, and he can't quite find the key with his, the lock with his key and you're sitting there cursing him under your breath. You feel a certain sense of satisfaction. Well, at least I'm not a lousy knucklehead like him. When you watch the news and you see that group that, that their values are so different than ours, it feels good to judge them and say, okay, they're the bad guys and we're the good guys. When you hear about some celebrity with an outrageous lifestyle, it's, it's sport for us to judge them. It, it feels good for us. We enjoy that. If that weren't the case, we wouldn't enjoy those magazines at the, at the, at the grocery store and, and those TV shows that we watch and just shake our heads and, and cluck our tongues like little old ladies. But Jesus doesn't want us to pluck at the, at the speck in the eyes of our neighbors because we've got a log sticking out of our own. He wants us to deal with our own sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. How about us hating our own sin first? That's where it starts. So I'm going to help you out with this, okay? Because I'm your pastor and I love you. I'm going to do you a solid right now. We're going to have a time of mass confession. Yep, that's right. And right now, if, you're, if you've never been here before, it's your first time, you're like, oh my gosh, why did I come here? Don't worry, it won't be that painful. Listen up. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to raise your hand if you've committed one of the following sins. Now, don't, now wait until I get to the end. You don't want to out yourself, all right? But, but <laughs> I'm going to list a number of sins, and when we get to the end, if you've committed one of them, you please raise your hand. Otherwise, you can keep it down. All right, you ready? Here's our mass confession. If you've ever killed someone or hated someone enough that you called them a hurtful name, or spoken about them harshly behind their back, or thought about how fun it would be to make them look bad or to hurt them in some way, or have been glad to see something bad happen to them, or if you've ever slept with someone that you were not married to, or if you fantasized about doing that, or if you've ever taken uh, personal gratification in someone else's physical body, or if you've ever been disobedient to your parents, or ever talked back to them, or ever not really cared for them in the way that you should, if you've ever failed to take at least one day out of every seven days to take away from your work and your regular agenda and just get away and rest your mind and your body and spend time alone with God in the presence of His people, if you've ever used God's name in a way that wasn't absolutely, totally, completely reverent, if you've ever robbed someone or taken something that wasn't yours or taken a long lunch break or slacked off on work, you know, hide under your desk and take a nap. If you ever padded your expense account, if you ever called in sick when you weren't really sick, if you ever borrowed something and didn't get it back promptly, if you've ever cheated on your taxes, if you've ever said anything you knew wasn't true or heard someone say something you knew wasn't true and didn't correct them, if you've ever in any way deceived anybody about anything, if you've ever wanted something so badly that the person who had it, you didn't like them very much, or you looked at that thing and said, I deserve that more than that other person does, or if you've ever said to God, Lord, if you really love me, you would give me that thing. If you've ever done any of that, even one, raise your hand right now. All right. Amen. You know what we got here, folks? We got a room full of sinners. And the world knows that. The world, the world is not under the impression that we're righteous. The world thinks that we think we're righteous. The world needs to know 
that a church like this is a place where you can be broken and you can admit you're broken and you can come before God and get healed and there will be people there who will put an arm around you and say, you know, I've struggled with that too. My child has struggled with what you're, you're struggling with. My best friend, I, I walked with him or with her through what you're going through. I will do that for you too. And you know, you know we're getting there. You know we're becoming a humble church when our life groups become places where that happens on a regular basis. Can you imagine just about every Sunday somebody coming in and saying, listen, y'all, I had a bad week. I was, I was rude to my spouse this week. I was all, in fact, this is a pattern for me. I'm just impatient with her, and, and I hurt her feelings. Y'all, this week, I, had, I, had, I just have to confess to you, I've been hiding this for a long time, but I, I get on my computer and I look at porn all the time. I just can't stop myself. Y'all, I, I just have this issue with someone I don't like. I just get behind the scenes and I talk about them and it makes me feel good, but I know it's wrong and I need to stop. Y'all, I'm just angry all the time. I'm angry and I can't stop being angry at people. I can't forgive the people who hurt me. I, I lash out. Our small groups need to be places where people can come in and say things like that, knowing that people aren't going to say, oh, well, you're fine. No, but they're going to say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, brother. I'm going to be there for you. Sister, come alongside. We're going we're to walk with you because we're all broken. We're going to walk with you toward Christ step by step day by day. We'll become known in the community. Can you imagine that people who come to the end of their rope who are broken in some way know, well, I know that in that church I can go and they'll help me put things back together. That's when we know we're becoming a humble church. And that's what we need to pray for every day for ourselves and for ourselves as a community. Secondly, we need compassion we need to be compassionate people. At the start of the series, I posted a quote, and I'm going to post it again. I want you to see it. It says by Mark Galley, the, the difference between Jesus' holiness ethic and that of the Pharisees is this. The Pharisees refuse to touch any unclean thing. Jesus aims to make the unclean holy. At the time I ask you, which one are you more like? Now, think about that in light of this. The Pharisees, it says, caught this woman in the act of adultery. They didn't hear that she was having an affair and confront her. They caught her in the act. Now, have you ever stopped and asked yourself the question, how did that work? How did that happen exactly? Were they just doing random door-to-door -door checks? Oh my goodness, what have we found? No. I mean, isn't the answer obvious? They were following this woman. They were watching her. Somehow they knew that maybe they knew things were not good between her and her husband. Maybe they knew they, they'd heard that she was getting a little too familiar with this other man. Maybe they knew. But ask yourself the question, if they knew, if they knew to follow her, why didn't they intervene? Why didn't they come up to this woman and say, listen, ma'am, you're headed down the wrong direction. As, as the spiritual leaders of this community and you're part of our flock, we want to rescue you from making a choice you'll regret for the rest of your life. I've had friends who have committed adultery and they would tell me, they would tell you, if someone could have slapped me in the face and stopped me, it would have been the best thing anybody ever did for me. Why didn't they do that for this woman? Because they wanted her to fail. They were excited about her sin. By the way, second question, where was the man? Anybody ever ask yourself that question? Where was the guy 
because there's two in a tango, you know what I mean? So why didn't they drag him to the temple too? See, this is the way the world sees us. And therefore, this is the way the world sees God. That God is a self-righteous moral bully who can't wait for us to trip up so he can zap us from on high. And yet, the truth is, when you read the scriptures, the truth is the exact opposite, that God is on our side. It's this incredibly revolutionary message that God doesn't sit high up on a mountain saying, okay, if you can climb up to me with your righteousness, come on in, but you better pass the test. No, God comes down to us. He lays down his life to set us free. He helps us. He weeps when we fail, but he doesn't give up on us. God is on our side and people in our world don't know that. And and it's, That's not going to change because somebody gave enough money to put up some inspirational billboards. That's not going to change because somebody's on TV and preaching about it. That's not going to change because we preach about it on Sunday mornings here. It's going to change when we go out into the world and we're able to do what Jesus did and show this woman and people just like him, there's a different way to live. That's what Jesus was saying when he said, go and leave your life of sin. You don't have to stay here. There's a different way to live, and it's a better way. So there's this little town in Austria named Rattenberg. I looked online. If you you go online and you Google Rattenberg, you'll see images like the ones you're seeing on the screen. It's a beautiful place. I've never been to Austria, but this is the way I picture it. And yet Rattenberg, Austria, is losing population. It's already the smallest village, smallest incorporated town in the country, and, and people are moving away. They don't want to live there. It's not because the roads are bad or the water tastes bad or the city government is poor or the education system stinks. It's none of that. It's because of darkness. Rattenberg has a problem with literal darkness. You see, Rattenberg, the village, is nestled up in the, in the base of Rat Mountain, which, let's admit it, that sounds like the worst amusement park ride ever, right? And so for a third of the year, from November to February, the sun is literally blotted out by the mountain. And so there is no sunlight for a third of the year in that village. And that gets depressing. Now, I, I first heard this story about 10 years ago. And I read it because there was an article about a power company that was going to put these heliostatic mirrors on the mountain itself. So the the mirrors were going to reflect, they were going to be angled just right to reflect the sunlight down into the valley where the village was, and so they would have light. And so when I was preparing for this message, I thought, well, I'll look that up so I can give you pictures of the mirrors so you can see how this company brought light to Rattenberg. But guess what? When I looked up the article... For some reason, they hadn't done the project. I don't know if the village ran out of money, if the company figured out it wouldn't work, but for one reason or another, it hasn't been done. The citizens of Rattenberg are still in the dark. Now think about that for a moment, and think about this. Our story ended with verse 11. You know what verse 12 says? Jesus spoke again to the people, and he said, I am the light of the world. Every broken person, which is every person, is walking in darkness. And Jesus is the light. Jesus is the one who sets them free. Jesus can do for them what he did for this woman. Jesus is the light, and it's our job 
to bring the light into their valley. It's our job to be the mirrors that reflect His light to them. We can't save anybody. We've said this before. We can't fix someone who's broken. Someone's got bad habits. Someone's got addiction. Someone's got problems. We can't make them right. But we can bring the light to them. We can set them free through the power of Jesus Christ. How do we do that exactly? Because, yes, we need to be humble. Yes, we need to be compassionate. But that's not all. Because if you're just the nicest person a shamed person meets, if you're just the kindest person that a broken person knows, that's fine. But if you never go further than that, you know what's the best that can possibly come out of that? The best that will come out of that is they'll say, you know, I'm going to try really hard to live like she does. You know, he's a nice guy and he seems to do things right. I'm going to try really hard to do that. And that doesn't work. If you've been a Christian a while... You're as good as you are only because the Holy Spirit's inside of you, and you still got a long way to go. That's not what we want. We have to tell them about the Savior who can save them, the Savior who can set them free and bring light into their darkness. I know, I know that's scary. I know you would say, Well, I don't know what I don't know where to start. And this is why so many people say, you know, I've got a friend who doesn't know Jesus. Preacher, will you go talk to him? Well, sure, but he'd rather hear about it from you. If nothing else, tell them your story. The best way I know to share the truth, the saving truth of Jesus with someone is to tell them how He set you free. And that's easy. All you do is you say, okay, here's who I was. Here's how Jesus came into my life. Here's the difference it's made. Anybody can do that. If you can't do that, you're not a believer. You ought to be able to tell that story in five minutes or less. Even if you're not a good storyteller, You ought to be able to tell that story because you've told it so many times because it's the most important story in your life. And then there's another way. If you want something more structured, if you you just feel shy talking about yourself, I've learned a new method that I want to share with you. So if you'll watch the screen, and you might want to take some notes. Write down, this is called the three circles. So watch the screen. Obviously, there's lots of different ways to share the gospel, the truth that sets people free. There's scripture-based ways. There's all kinds of plans you've learned in the past. I wanted to share with you a method that I've learned recently that I think is easy for people to understand, um, especially people who don't know the scriptures, who may not respect uh, the scriptures the way you and I as Christians do. And it's called the three circles. And here's how it works. The first circle represents brokenness. When you look at the world, you can tell that it's broken. Watch the news at night and see the kinds of things that go on in our world. Take a look at your own life. Each one of us is broken in our own different ways. We're broken. We're not the way we want to be. We're certainly not the way uh, God intended for us to be. And we try to answer that brokenness. We try to solve that brokenness in a variety of ways. We, We try it through pleasure, through success. Um, through money, through even religion, sex, relationships. None of those things work. They may bring us a little burst of happiness for a while. They may settle our souls for a while, but eventually we're still broken. We realize that. And so what do we do? See, the reason we're broken is God had an original design for the world. God's design for our world and for us was perfect. There were no flaws And what happened was we became broken because of our sin. 
our sin, our rebellion against God and His original plan, our desire to do things our own way, led us to brokenness. And God could have said, well, you got yourself into this, get yourself out. God could have said, if you want to do your own thing, fine, go your own way. I want nothing to do with you. But he didn't. So that leads us to the third circle. And the third circle is Jesus. Jesus is God in human flesh. He's God on a rescue mission. God came into this world. He became a human being like us. And he lived a perfect life. He was the only human being who never sinned, and so he wasn't broken. And yet on a certain day, he died on a cross. His body was broken for us. He took on our brokenness onto himself, and he was broken so we could be set free. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and now he is able to heal our brokenness and make us whole. And the way that happens, what we need to do is come to Jesus. All we have to do is come to Him, and He heals us. We become His children, and He starts to form us into His image. And then two things start to happen. Once we come to Jesus, two things begin to happen. We start to grow back into God's perfect design. doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen overnight. But step by step, we become more and more the people God intended for us to be as He wipes away the sin, as He replaces it with His character. And second, we go back into this broken world, And we take this story, this truth with us because there's still so many people who are still in this state. They're still broken and they still don't know about the answer down here, Jesus. Everyone we know, every one of us is in one of these two places. We're still in brokenness or we're following Christ and growing back toward Christ. So where are you? So uh, I know I'm going to get letters and emails this week from all the teachers saying, you poor preacher, you need someone to work with you on your handwriting. But uh, my mom fought that battle 40 years ago and lost, so it's kind of a lost cause. But that's a way you can share the gospel. You don't have to use that. But if you'd like to, the good thing about it is you don't have to memorize scripture. A person you're talking to doesn't have to know anything about the Bible. You can draw that diagram on a napkin or on a note card. There's an app you know, on the iPhone that you, or, or on the smartphone that you can use that runs through those circles too. There's instructions in the little article in your bulletin today. Um, and by the way, you can always just call up the video on YouTube. I'm sure James, gonna, James is going to post that eventually. Or he'll, you Google three circles and you'll find that same video done by several other people. So here's the point. People around us need the light. And we're not the light. But Jesus is, and he's made us the mirrors that reflect that light into our lost and dark and lonely world. And you have to be willing to serve that function. You have to be willing to reflect him to all the people around you. And if you're willing, then pray for it. If you're willing, pray, Lord, make me humble. Make me open. Make me a person who is approachable by those who feel ashamed. Lord, make me compassionate, compassionate enough that I will take the time to walk with them, the patience that it takes to help them see. Give me the words to say.